This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. We're going to talk a little bit about brands and when marketing ideas backfire with Professor Americus Reed, who is in the marketing department here at the Wharton School. Great to have you here. Well, thanks for having first me. First time in the studio here? Yes, first time in the new studio. Nice. Very excited to be here. It's it's a nice little house that we have here. It's isn't awesome. It? Exactly. Uh, and we want to have uh, comments from people coming in as well. one 844 1-844-942-7866, especially if you've had an, an instance where you have believed in a brand and then all of a sudden something changed and, and you just you th- it, it, it lost its appeal to it the one thing i threw out earlier is what a, what if choosy moms didn't choose jeff because okay there is a, a, there is a slogan that yeah. has been iconic it's iconic yes here in the united states for 40 years now yes. something like that that's right a- and that just shows kind of what we're talking about about the success yes that that a that a company can have with the right slogan. That's right. But obviously, there are examples out there that I'm sure you've seen that have just gone the other way, have totally failed. Yeah, it, it's a challenge because brands are trying and companies are trying to connect with people, and sure. that's going on all the time. And so, you know, one of the ways to do that is to try to speak to a person's sense of who they are, yeah. and to try to appeal to their identity and to provide the product uh, a vehicle to allow them to do that. So we're still learning about how this happens. I mean, great companies, great brands like Apple or Nike or Harley-Davidson are really able to connect to this sense of self-expression. But we are learning a little bit of the instances and situations where attempting to do that can indeed backfire. I would imagine that this is also, in some respects, a bit of a fluid situation because of the fact that, you know, we had... The baby boomers, mm-hmm. and then Gen X, yep. and now we're into millennials, and they all differently they Very think different. differently about about how we like our products, what products we like. Obviously, millennials, there's more of a green push green yes. initiative. Yes. So it, it, it's a huge factor in this. It's an s- extremely large factor, and I yeah. think the generational influences are exactly what you said, Dan. They they provide for this fluency, this 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 dynamicness. I think that happens with consumers that they're trying to navigate who they are mm-hmm. over time and trying to understand how products might fit into a portfolio of symbols that allow them to express who they are pretty effectively to them and their peers. But are there aspects of it that carry from generation to generation? Yes, there are. There are certain values, I think, that remain fairly stable over time. Um, And then, again, there are other values that change as a function of generation. So, for example, millennials tend to be very very socially aware sure and not that other generations were not but i think millennials are are more prone to be a bit more public about it Mm -hmm. and they are simply more thoughtful in being forward-looking about well what is my legacy what why am i here what am i going to leave behind how am i going to change the world all of these very lofty things that i think were in the minds of other generations but not at the center Uh, to the extent as they are uh, issues for these millennials, for example. Well, and it's interesting because as we talk about millennials right now, uh, they are obviously so much more socially aware. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they do understand the the – Profit that needs to be made out yes. there personally, yes. in order to succeed and be ordered to, to have a good life. 
that's exactly right. Maybe the 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 levels were flipped. Yes. With the baby boomers and the Gen Xs who were more concerned about the money yes. than they were about the social awareness. Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. I think the other uh, caveat to that that is another layer of nuance here is the fact that for millennials, I think there was a, an explicit attempt to try to bring the two things together. So I think in previous generations, it was always thought that there was a kind of a conflict between doing good. Uh, and uh, making money. Sure. And yeah. so I think this generation of this younger crowd of millennials feels like those two things are actually not in conflict with each other, that it's perfectly okay to to want to do good, to be socially aware, but also to pursue business-related uh, sorts of activities and profits, et cetera. How much had has the recession affected all of this? Because we're talking about, you know, you had the financial crisis and the housing crisis and the auto industry mm-hmm. had its problems. That's a lot of problems. <laughs> That's a lot of problems yeah, right. for people to digest, and and in some respects, they're still coming out of it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the the recession has done has created a higher sense of self reflection. Sure, and really trying to force people to understand, well, well, what am I about? What am I pursuing? Why am I doing this? And sure. putting that why question center stage is something that I think is pretty prominent for these younger younger sorts of consumers like these millennials. one wharton one 844 We're talking about some examples of, of marketing ideas that may have backfired. And we'll get some, we'll, we'll ask America's, yeah. his, 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 his most vehement one that it just kind of blew up in somebody's face in just a minute. Brian is in Philadelphia with a question. Brian, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. Thanks, guys. Really enjoy the show. Um, really, I have more of a, comment and a question regarding like a brand that's kind of left uh, consumers disappointed. I think, unfortunately, the best example of that is really the U.S. auto industry. Mm. Um, You know, it's as as an American, you almost want to buy American. I kind of grew up in the 80s with that type of mentality. And that's where I would like to spend my money and make the investment. But as a brand, it's tough to kind of trust it and and buy into it and Mm -hmm. feel good about the investment because... I think the quality is not there. Mm. And, and mm. The U.S. Industry, auto industry has done a lot to improve itself, but the, the brand's not there across all manufacturers, GM, Ford, Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Um, quality is definitely not there. And even just like as a product that you enjoy investing in and, and owning, it's, it's just kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, um, mm-hmm. I wish that wasn't the case. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point, right? Because one of the things that we always say is that the worst thing that can happen to a bad product is good marketing. <laughs> and uh, you're absolutely correct. I think at a certain level, you have to provide certain basic things. Quality has to be there. The features have to be there about the product. And if the features are there, then you can start thinking about if you're a company, a brand, an organization, et cetera, you can start thinking about how can I now add the brand value part to that equation to try to connect with consumers. So I agree in the sense that the, the, the auto industry is a kind of interesting example because there is a kind of a, a drive to want to connect on those values, those values that are rich in sort of American tradition and uh-huh. history and those sorts of things that are a very big part of self-expression. But of course... You know, if the product is not delivering on those features, then it makes it much more difficult to really uh, create and maintain that kind of relationship with those brands. Brian, thanks very much for the call. The, the auto industry is interesting because of the fact that, it, you know, it, it fell down on such hard times for a while. And obviously, it has come back very well over the last two years. And I guess the most interesting part of it is that, and maybe it's tied to how we've seen the economy grow, is the mm-hmm. fact that within the auto industry, 
trucks now are are as popular as they were 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like even if you don't have a job as a construct somebody working construction, mm-hmm. you want to have a truck. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, part of that, I guess, is to the inner nature of what Americans are and the marketing that that the auto industry is doing. Yeah, it, it's those those values of hardworking, this sort of blue collar, yeah. sort of get up, go to work, do your thing, sort of uh, impression. I think are, is sort of inherent. Yeah, uh, in the messaging that goes behind trying to promote those sorts of products. I will throw one other theory that I have, and this is just me, and I do have somebody that I know that I think falls into this category, uh-huh. but I think there is also a little bit of the Napoleon complex in it <laughs> that people want, you know, if, if you're feeling about yourself one way, yeah. you have a truck, yeah. and you're going to feel <laughs> taller th- than you you know, than you know, normally would. Yeah. I, am I right on that? Oh, absolutely. I think the, the, the car industry is interesting as an example of, I don't want to call it compensation, but uh, you know, it is a sort of exactly. form of self-enhancement, let's say. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a big part of that, and a lot of the appeal, I think, comes from that. All right, so give me an example or two of the ones where it really backfired. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that... When I see brands out there, one of the critical things that I think about is authenticity. Okay. So when the message is trying to say that we are trying to connect with you as a consumer, as a particular type of person, then that message has to be consistent at all touch points Mm -hmm. where the consumer interfaces or comes into contact with the brand. I think a recent example of this was Lululemon had some major challenges with respect to trying to portray its brand for a particular group of people, you know, these sort of folks that are into yoga, into kind of a Zen life, into sort of a lifestyle that is uh, rooted in those sorts of values. And for the company to come out and have a a message that's anti to that, (laughs) and I won't repeat it here uh, for the sake of... (laughs) Well, we are satellite radio, so we got a little bit more leeway, but no, I agree. But uh, So that's an example of, again, inconsistency of the message with the overall values uh, of the identity. And so consumers are looking for that authenticity. If you tell me who you are... And I don't believe you because you don't follow through on on that message. Sure. Then I get very upset about that. And then what I see what you're doing is simply kind of a gimmick in which you're trying to basically just get money from me. Yeah. So is it even worse when you have a brand that that does gain that trust? And no matter how long we're talking about that that years of of trust, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you are let down Mm -hmm. as the consumer, and it just. It does. It does tear you away because people are so attached to certain brands. Yeah, there's no question about it. Huge. And then that brand kind of pulls the rug out from under you, and, and you feel really bad about that product. I think that's a great point, Dan. Here's an interesting example of this, though, because I think it's a it is a double edged sword. Okay, but it works. It can work in your favor. So if you're able to really make that deep connection over time, yeah, you'll find that you'll create something called identity loyalty. Okay, which literally means that the brand will become part of who you are. Right. So when bad things no happen, no matter to the, what the product, no matter what the product, yeah, yeah, right. So and there are companies who have done this very well. Apple is an example that jumps to mind all the time. You sure. think about this when things go wrong, the antenna is not working, or maybe the phone is bending in your pocket, or, you, or the or the <laughs> iOS eight point zero point one program <laughs> burns your battery. Yeah, it burns up your battery. That's right. And yet the Apple loyalists will vehemently get on the blogs and defend, 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 defend. Sure. And the theory behind part of why this happens is it might seem very irrational, but the point of it is that the brand has become part of who they are. Sure, yeah. So when things are said that reflect bad on the brand, that's yeah. essentially an attack on me. So I have to defend it. And so you have a certain, you have a certain what I call a surplus in the bank. 
if you've created this kind of identity loyalty with your customers in terms of self-expression and the alignment of their values with the brand's values. Sure. And so that surplus can carry you through some pretty tough times when, when there are product mistakes or defaults or, or things that happen of that nature. Auto industry, probably Auto. The, the leading example of that. <laughs> exactly. The last year or so with all the recalls that have been going on. Exactly. It's interesting. How much is of this identity brand loyalty or failure changed in the last you know decade or decade and a half because of the fact that smartphones are just That's huge they're they're part of our lives anymore they're huge yeah. and i think i think a big trend that we've noticed dan is the fact that the consumers are now heavily involved in the process of creating these brands sure, and what yeah. i mean by that is the proliferation of social media and these kinds of things now allow consumers to be active community advocates yeah. out there putting the message, defending the message, advocating for the message, becoming literally one-man marketing machines sure. uh, on behalf of the brand. So their voice is now much more heard. And because they have an active role in now communicating and being a part of the brand, I think uh, it's a much more powerful context uh, in terms of creating this kind of connection with consumers. And you know, companies know that they have to pay attention to this. If there is indecision about a specific product like if you were a user like okay i'll throw the peanut butter <laughs> uh, you, you know i have always been a skippy person uh-huh. <laughs> you're a skippy man i am a skippy man I, and you're proud of it darn I, it i am my mom my mom and dad got me started on it uh-huh. i've just never uh-huh. liked jeff uh-huh. that's nothing against jeff <laughs> but if you're somebody that that is you know you're basically you're thinking about making a change mm-hmm. Talk about that process, too, because that's got to be – you have to earn – that company has to earn that person's trust. Yes. And yes. You're, you're, you're basically going from, from level zero. Yeah. You're starting over. You're, it's, like, it's just like the analogy that's, I think, appropriate here, Dan. It's a relationship. Right, so it's a new relationship that's starting. So you're going to go through like a court, a court courting phase, if you will, sure, a honeymoon yeah. phase, yeah. where you're yeah. trying to make that connection, understand. Does this brand's values truly align with my values? Am I going to be able to communicate who I am by using this brand and differentiate yeah. myself uh, from others uh, who don't use this brand? So if I'm a GIF guy and I don't like the Skippy guys, <laughs> then I'm going to want to know. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm able to make you know I'm able to basically uphold that GIF image, sure, uh, and that it's well differentiated from what the Skippy brand means in sure. terms of self-expression, etc. Uh, um, I know it's a bit of a sticky example. <laughs> But uh, sorry. Boy, did you work? Did you work <laughs> on that joke for like? A, a, I'll be here all the week, people. You, Thank you. You you have to be a skippy guy, right? You're, I am. Yeah, okay. I am. Right. I am a skippy guy. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, in terms of uh, of someone's life, you know, it, the cautiousness of the consumer does yeah. increase. Yes. A- especially when you've had one thing that it, one product that has kind of yes. hurt you, and. and Overall, you yes. just become a more cautious consumer, don't absolutely. you? Absolutely. But that's a that's an absolutely true statement, Dan. And that's exactly where the power of the brand comes in, right? Because yeah. the brand is a the brand is also a symbol of trust, right? Yeah. This is the reason why there are, are huge price differences between uh, over the counter drugs that are branded versus not. Sure. And uh, the whole reason that those those products, which are chemically identical, yeah, can yeah. sit on the se- shelf right next to each other. <laughs> sure. And one's three dollars more is because <laughs> the brand is allowing for that that certainty, that trust, yeah. that relationship that you know that you can count on. Yeah. When you when you aren't sure about what it is that you're trying to the problem that you're trying to resolve as a consumer. The other area that probably and tell me if I'm wrong that. that really lends itself to brand loyalty is the soda market mm-hmm. you huge. know huge you are really huge you're really either a coke person oh, yeah. or a pepsi person uh-huh. and 
rarely yeah. do you go over, especially yeah. when you find one that you like. Yeah. Now you're touching on a very uh, personal <laughs> thing, Dan, because I was actually raised in Atlanta. And oh so, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a cocaine. It's coke country. It is. Yeah, you got to be careful there. I mean, it's it's a great example because the beverage market is a very saturated market, and when you, it's interesting because in my class, I teach a class on consumer behavior to uh, MBAs and undergraduates here at Wharton. Sure. One of the things I do in the class is I do a blind taste test of sodas, hmm. and one of the interesting things that comes out every single time we do this is that people are unable to pick out Coke from Pepsi in a blind taste test that would be better than be what would be predicted by chance. Sure, yeah. So when you remove the label, people aren't very good at uh, you know, demonstrating their preferences. But when the label's on there, they'll swear to you that those, uh, uh, those allegiances will come out very, very sure. vehemently. It's, it's I, really interesting. That's it, the brand. It is interesting because I, I will tell you just this personal experience. I can taste the difference between Diet Coke <laughs> and Diet Pepsi. Uh-huh. I don't like Diet Pepsi. Uh-huh. It's just me. Uh-huh. But I can, I can notice the taste. Uh-huh. But I would imagine... Because of the fact that you've made it basically a blind test, yes, it that's the factor that makes it harder. Yes, yes, and the brand the brand adds a lot of what is the perception of what you're consuming, yeah. and creates the the value in terms of how you connect with that particular product. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, are these sodas that much different? I no. mean, are they really? No. So you know, the brand is a huge differentiator in that uh, in that category. And one of the things I, I touched on with you before we started this interview is is the fact that you know I'm a dad. I got three kids. You're a dad. Yes. You got a four year old daughter. Four year old daughter. Okay. So I am bombarded. <laughs> bombarded is the best way yes. to explain this. Yes. When my kids yes. see something that they want to have on TV, yes. and I'm sitting there knowing that that thing, whatever it might be, might last about an hour and a half. Yes. And, 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 and you know, it, it really does put the parent yes. in, a, in a unique situation. In a very unique situation. I, I definitely feel you on that, Dan. It's um, <laughs> it's tough. I have My four-year-old, she immediately connected with the Disney brand, which is another example oh, of yeah. a great brand that yeah. really understands its market. Yeah. Uh, and we're, as parents... Especially when you have the first one. So I struggled with this because yeah. the entire sort of infant industry is based on fear. It really <laughs> is. It really is. So yeah. you're going to buy the most expensive stroller. You're going to buy all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you're learning how to be a good parent. Want the best diapers. <laughs> you so want the best diapers. To, all that stuff. Deal with the mess. You have to deal with the mess. And uh, but it's interesting what you mentioned though, Dan, was because the child will begin to influence the parent in terms of purchases, and it's very clear, and the research shows that. Children become very aware of brands at a very early age. Sure. And start forming their preferences for brands at a very early age. So, for example, my daughter was asking for the Minnie Mouse diapers when she was two years old. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of an amazing thing to watch. But that, as you mentioned, that Disney brand is got so many tentacles to it. Yeah. And there is not much doubt that. Pretty much everything involved with Disney is good. Yes. You yes. Know, with the products. Yes. The movies. Yes. You know, the, I mean, let's just be honest about it. Frozen has been. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you went there, Dan. <laughs> I, I, I know. It's De, it's Dion's favorite song, by the way. We just we just it, it is encompassed everything yes. in our Huge. lives. Yes, it's amazing. They really know what they're doing, and yeah. they spend a lot of time thinking about and understanding children. And that market very much, but being able to have that avenue for yes. them, yes, you know, the movie is one thing. Now yes. they're bringing the Frozen characters onto the TV shows yes. that they have during the, and just you know, it's it's like the 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 marketing people when they know that this movie's coming yeah. out, their their mouths are watering because <laughs> they because they know yeah. they've got a hit on their they've hands. got a hit on their hands, and when you really 
extend out the value chain and think about the merchandising aspects, all the other aspects that really create these connections with these young consumers. It's a very powerful thing. What is... What's the worst thing that a that, that a that a company can do now, in terms of of a brand? I, 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 there's obviously so many traps, pitfalls that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, I mean. Is there is there a a big taboo that that is out there? Uh, I think th- it goes back to my earlier point. The biggest taboo is this authenticity thing. Sure. And and the biggest problem is not realizing how to talk to your customers that lends the signal to them that they understand who you are. Sure. So one of the examples I talked about in class recently was the uh, the incident that happened with Land's End when they said they actually sent. Uh, a a reward to a big proportion of their consumers, a yeah. free magazine. Yeah. Uh, and these are these are moms um, uh, with traditional values, and yeah. they actually sent a, a copy of a free issue of GQ magazine with a naked supermodel uh, oh. on the cover. <laughs> and the blogosphere blew up about this. Oh, I didn't hear about Absolutely. this. Absolutely, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Land's End would not do well <laughs> yeah. with this. Land's End and GQ, it's it's a strange kind of it's combination. A different territory. <laughs> no, I'm not against naked supermodels. Let me tell you. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, for that particular target market, uh, you know, it was a huge debacle. So it's basically signaling to your customers that you don't really know who we are. Yeah, you don't understand our values. No, and so you know, these are the kinds of things that get amplified on social media. Yeah, get talked about in the brand community. These are the kind of pitfalls you want to try but to avoid. But that's a that's a fact checking thing that yeah. that just you would think. Yeah, would, would not happen. Yeah, exactly. And when I pose it in my class, I explain that these aren't idiots doing these things. Sure, I mean, these yeah. are smart people running a business, et cetera, et cetera. But these are the kinds of mistakes that can happen if you don't have your finger on the pulse of the identity of the target market you're trying to talk to and what really drives their sense of values, their self-expression, sure. their needs, et cetera. Which obviously, as we were talking about before, that's that's changed because of the fact that as the millennials have kind of t- taken over and it's going to be this way, you would think for the next 30, 40 years, it, it's going to continue this way. Yeah, I think so. I think this it's very interesting to think about where the millennials are going to take us. Sure. And so companies right now are scrambling to sort of yeah. try to understand how do we talk to these people. Yeah. So there's a burgeoning area of research that's just blowing up at the moment of trying to get consumer insights on these consumers. Thanks very much for coming in. We Excellent. have to get off the air, unfortunately. No Great information. I look forward to having you back here in the studio. Just make the walk down from the seventh floor. I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks very Great much for having, having me. Great to have you Professor Americus Reed here in the marketing department at the Wharton School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.